Thank you, Mike. It's good to see Kyle and Angela and others in the, the video. It's a real answer to prayer to see what God is doing in our city through Convoy of Hope. And this is a prayer, hi kids, this is a prayer we've been praying through the week. It's found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. You know, the Lord is compassionate. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is slow to anger, but he abounds in his love. And our prayer is that our love may abound more and more, like the rains that fall from the heavens and fill the river. And the river becomes so full, she overflows her banks, so that love that flows into our lives may flow out of our lives. Our love may abound more and more in knowledge, in the knowledge of God, and understand the height and the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God, and depth of insight, so that we may be able to discern what is best. We as elders were uh, deliberating over a question, and we asked for the body to pray for us. It's a beautiful thing when we ask one another to pray that we can correctly hear the voice of God to approve what is excellent, to discern what is best, to be pure and blameless until the day of Christ and the fruit of righteousness that came through Jesus, to the glory of God. We're in a series entitled Discipleship, and this morning's about prayer. So let's go back to our definition of discipleship to hear it once more. Discipleship is a lifetime relational process driven, controlled by the Holy Spirit of being conformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Prayer is our lifeline. It is our pipeline. It is our direct line to God the Father. Ever since Jesus died upon the cross and the veil was torn, previously only the high priest could come in the presence of God. Now God invites us to come confidently into his throne room. We see in the life of Jesus that Jesus prayed early in the morning. He prayed late into the evening. He prayed throughout the day. Jesus lived his earthly life in the power of the Spirit, relying upon his Father for guidance, protection, and provision. When he was only 12 years old, he said he had to be in his father's house. And one of the reasons he came to his father's house was to pray. He went away 40 days into the wilderness to pray. He awoke before the dawn to pray. Before he invited his disciples to follow him, he prayed. When he sent them out, he prayed over them. When they encountered storms, he prayed for them. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. And when Jesus was engaged in the biggest spiritual battle of his life at Gethsemane, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And from the cross, the very first thing Jesus said was, Father, forgive them. Jesus lived his life as a man of prayer. The life of a disciple is learning how to pray, is hearing from God and communicating back to God. The power of God is released through prayer. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. Over your lifetime, you have seen many answers to prayer. You yourself are an answer to prayer. But we have those seasons of our life where we tend to slack off in prayer. 
And we tend to make excuses why we don't pray. How about this one? I don't have time. I'm just too busy. I'm not feeling real spiritual today. If I prayed right now, I'd feel like a hypocrite. Listen to me. When there's sin in your life, that's exactly when you need to pray. One of my prayers has been over the last few months, Lord, show me my sin. And when God shows me my sin, I say, hallelujah, for that's a sin for which Jesus Christ died. Well, I was one of those slumps, and my prayer life was sort of fledgling. And the Spirit spoke to me about praying the Scriptures. So I've got a number of reasons why I think it's important for us to learn to pray the Scriptures. The first of them is, if we pray the Scriptures, the Scriptures will come alive to us. The Scriptures are alive. When we pray them, they come to life. And when we pray the Scriptures, we're talking to God himself in his own language. You ever talk to a molecular biologist at some place like Dietrich about a subject like DNA? You ever had that conversation? You ever talk to an astrophysicist about the universe? I'm just amazed when I do about how much they know. And when you pray the scriptures, you're talking to God in his own language. Who knows you better than God? You first allow the scriptures to come into your own heart and then pray them back to God. Jesus himself modeled for us praying the scriptures. He said, haven't you heard? Or haven't you read? Or it is written. God's word contains promises. God binds himself to his promises. So when we learn the promises of God and plead the promises and tarry in the promises, God will meet us there. My hero, when it comes to prayer, is a guy by the name of George Mueller. He lived in the 1800s in Bristol, England, and it's recorded that George Mueller prayed 50,000 prayers with answers. He operated an orphanage. Hundreds of children came to his orphanage, and he would pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. They would sit down to eat, and there'd be nothing for them to eat. And he would pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. And a milk truck would break down outside, <laughs> or someone would deliver a load of bread. And these precious little children learned these lessons of faith that our Heavenly Father does provide for us according to our needs. This is what George Mueller did right. He said, always pray with an open Bible and base your prayers and petitions on God's word. Pray God's name and God's provision and spread out your requests before the Lord. The most famous prayer that we know of in the New Testament, we know it as the Lord's Prayer. I prefer to call it the Disciples' Prayer because this was a prayer that Jesus himself could not pray because it includes forgive us our debts. Now, you may have learned this prayer when you were little. You may have gone to religious school and said this prayer many, many times. As an adult, you may have said this prayer. But my observation is that most people say this prayer. They don't pray this prayer. And Jesus was warning us just before about meaningless repetition. So, you know, if you played football, you probably prayed this prayer prayer if you were playing in the South before you played your game. So this morning we're going to look at the disciples' prayer and God's call to us to pray. So let's go. It begins, our Father 
in heaven. The Jews knew the name of God, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, but they were careful never to say the word Yahweh. But when Jesus came onto the scene, he addressed God as his Father. You could say, knowing God as our Father summarizes the difference between the Old and New Testaments. The word Jesus used for Father was the word Abba. It is a word of endearment, a tender word, a very intimate word, a word like daddy or dad. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, said that one's grasp of Abba and one's adoption as a son or daughter of God is essential importance to our spiritual life. If you want to judge how well somebody understands their faith in Christianity, find out, find out how much they make of their adoption of God being their father. You see, God sent his spirit into our hearts, the spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Your father is your Abba. He's your daddy. The child Abba understanding brings wholeness to spiritual life. It brings a sense of being loved. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The second thing that brings it home is the sense of forgiveness. Do you know that when the prodigal came home, the first words he said was, Father, forgive me. And the first words that Jesus spoke from the cross were, Father, forgive them. Knowing God as our Father brings to us a great sense of forgiveness for our sins. And I want you to know this, that Abba is not disappointed with you, and Abba is not angry with you, that Abba is very fond of you, that Abba is tender towards you, that Abba has feelings and affections for you. You see, knowing God as our Abba Father brings security and wholeness and confidence into our life. Knowing God as Abba is a sign of our own spiritual health. You see, our Father, that's a term of intimacy or nearness to God. And then our, our Father, which is in heaven, is to say that our Father is ruling, that he is over all, he's in heaven above us. Hallowed be your name. When we're praying to Abba, our Father in heaven, the familiarity must not ever degenerate into disrespect. We must give God the honor that he receives because hallowed or holy or set apart is his name. You know, we give a person a name and don't think much about their name. But when you think about the names of God, they reveal his character. For instance, when Gideon encountered God beside the threshing floor, he offered up an offering and the Lord received it. And he hallowed the name of God and said, The Lord is my peace. Or Abraham, there on Mount Moriah, when God spared his son and substituted with the ram, he hallowed that place, the hallowed the name of God, and said, The Lord is my provider, Jehovah Jireh. And when Moses was spoken to about the diseases in Egypt, and the people would not get the diseases if they kept the laws of God, he hallowed the name of God, the Lord is my healer. You see, how do we hallow the name of God? We're careful never to profane the name of God with our mouths. Never to swear or take that name in vain. For holy is the name of our God. Hallowed, hallowed is his name. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And your kingdom come. God's kingdom cannot be found on any map. God's kingdom does not have to do with geography. The kingdom of God exists wherever the divine rule is acknowledged. Praying your kingdom come is not to say that God himself is not the king, for he is the sovereign king, but to say that part of his reign will be future. You see, our God is king. Our God rules. Our God reigns. How lovely on the mountain are the feet of him who pronounces to the people that your God reigns. You see, your God is the king over all kings, and your God has a kingdom. And when the wind blows, it blows at his bidding. And when the sun shines, it reflects his glory. And when the bird sings, it sings to the glory of God. For God is the king. And when God came down to earth, he came forth as a king. You see, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And Pilate under examination said, are you truly the king? And Jesus said, it is as you say. God himself is king. And he has a kingdom. And his kingdom is yet to come. To pray your, your kingdom come is to pray for the king's return and the establishment of his earthly kingdom. You see, I long to see God's kingdom. I long to see his shalom upon this earth. I know the king has come, but I also know the king is coming back. So I pray, Lord, may your kingdom come. I pray, come, Lord Jesus. And God's kingdom also is manifest in the present. When Jesus was here upon this earth, he brought the kingdom and the kingdom message. And he said, the kingdom of God is near unto you. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and joy and the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, when Jesus was speaking about the kingdom, he would say the kingdom of God is like a king who is preparing a wedding feast for his son. Do you want to be part of that wedding feast? He said, the kingdom of God is like ten virgins who went out to meet their bridegroom. Do you want to meet your bridegroom? You see, the Lord himself is preparing this feast for us forever to be in his presence. And he's inviting you to be part of his kingdom, to worship the king. How did Jesus bring about the kingdom? Primarily by bringing men and women into obedient conformity to the will of God. Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. You see, in heaven, the will of God is done readily, eagerly, fervently, and constantly. But how about here on earth? On this earth, we have a choice as to whether we will obey the will of God and experience joy, or whether we will disobey the will of God and suffer. When we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that God's will may be done in our lives. The more you get to know God's word, the more you will know his will. If you are ignorant of God's word, you'll also be ignorant of his will. The most important thing to learn is the will of God, the word of God, and to follow it. You say, I'm 16 years old, Pastor R, and my boyfriend is pressuring me to have sex. Should I? What is the will of God on that matter? What does the word of God say to you? It says, no, hold your ground. <laughs> Tell that boyfriend to take a hike. 
Maybe you need another boyfriend. For this is the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You see, the more we know the word of God, the more we hear the will of God, and we have a choice as to whether we will follow the will of God. I'm 26, Pastor R, and my boyfriend wants me to move in with him. I was asked this question just recently at a wedding. Is it the will of God for me to move in with my boyfriend and live together? Perhaps that's the great elephant that's sitting in the room, isn't it? (laughs) Because there's a whole lot of cohabitation happening in our culture. We can definitively say, no, it is not the will of God. The will of God is that sex is reserved for the marriage relationship. For this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I'm 36, Pastor R, and there's any difference between heterosexual and homosexual marriage. I mean, both imply covenant and commitment, and it seems like many states now are authorizing same-sex marriage. Is this within the will of God? Back to the scripture that says it's between a man and a woman. How about terminating this pregnancy I find myself in? Is this the will of God? I didn't expect for this to happen. What does the word of God say? That you were knit together inside your mother's womb. And that child inside of you is life. And that child is sacred. May your will be done on this earth as it is also in heaven. When you think about the will of God, you have to measure it by the love of a father. You see, this love is measured by his son giving his life upon a cross. So when God invites us to follow his will, it is done out of his deep love for us. Give us this day our daily bread. This is an invitation to pray about the necessities of life things large and small, things that are necessary for life and health and well-being to ourselves and to our families. We're to pray about our daily bread. To come to God with requests that might seem small is one of the precious um, realities of the Christian life, that God cares about the simple things in our life, the necessary thing, the ordinary things. To come to God asking for a pair of shoes, Beautiful to me in that video was the feet being washed and the shoes being given. To pray to God about a car, the necessity of having a car in our culture to transport us. To pray about books that we'd like to read or give away. To pray about our necessary groceries. To pray about a place to live. To pray about a renter for the place that we have. To pray about a buyer. You see, God cares about whether people are warm and well-fed and well-housed. In commanding us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, notice that it is the mutuality of brothers and sisters to give us this day our daily bread. That is to say, if God gives me two loaves, shouldn't I take the extra loaf and give it away? And this is a question that Western Christians need to grapple with. If God has so blessed us with more than we need, then shouldn't we be generous with that surplus? Living below a luxurious standard of life to be able to make available to others that which they need. I think that when the history of this time is told, they'll look at the houses we lived in and the cars we drove and the lifestyles we lived 
in relationship to the world in such vast need and say that they were a very indulgent culture. To say, give us this day our daily bread is to open my heart to somebody who's in great need. Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks shall find. And the person who knocks, the door shall be opened unto him. For what father, what son, if he asks his father for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? And what father, if his son asks him for a fish, will give him a snake? And if we, though being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more so will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask of him? God is inviting us into a relationship through prayer of being able to ask. What are you currently asking God for? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I love my calculator and I love my computer, but I especially love my clear button. Because when I push my clear button, I get to start all over again. It's like shaking your etch-a-sketch, you know, you get this, a clear screen again. The mistake is lost forever. Such is the nature of our forgiving God. He does not remember our transgressions. He buries them in the deepest part of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our transgressions from us. He does not give us what we deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. You see, when Jesus died upon the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. We are no longer under the condemnation of our holy God. And when he used the word debt here, he's referring to an unseen balance we have with God. Every time we have sinned, we make another entry onto the balance. It's kind of like swiping your credit card again and again and again and accruing a balance. We all have a balance toward God, some great, some small, but what Jesus Christ did on the cross was complete forgiveness for our sins. And now we're told, as God has forgiven us, to extend that forgiveness to others. As God has removed our trespasses, to no longer hold someone's trespasses against them. We can only forgive to the degree that God has forgiven us. And God has forgiven us freely and fully and completely. Therefore, we have the power in the Spirit to forgive others. You can feel wronged and feel hurt and angry. And you can stew over what has happened to you. You can play that event over and over and again in your mind. You can re rehearse the wrong and develop resentment, which has to do with feeling it over and over again. But resentment will always go into bitterness, and the root of bitterness always attaches back to the offense. Jesus would say to us, if you forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. You see, he's telling us, forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. We all experience wrong of being wronged. And to the degree we know the forgiveness of God, we can extend the forgiveness of God to the wrongdoer.
This is a powerful prayer. <laughs> Augustine called it the terrible prayer. Because it's terrible in the sense that God will forgive us to the degree we forgive others their sins. But if we choose not to forgive somebody their sins, it proves we're not forgiven. And lead us not into temptation. Every day of your life, you're going to have temptation to rely upon yourself, to live independently of God, to hold a grudge against somebody. He's praying, Lord, lead us away from our temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. The evil one would, first of all, tempt you. He would entice you. And then he would ensnare you. And then he would trap you. And then he would accuse you. And then he would make your life miserable. Deliver us, God, from the hand of the evil one. You see, when Jesus Christ was going through his temptation at Gethsemane, there he prayed with his disciples, or tried to pray with his disciples. You see, praying with his disciples for an hour was not a big deal to Jesus. Praying for an hour was not a big deal, because when he asked them to pray, they fell asleep. You know the story, right? He says, could not you pray with me for one hour? Is this such a big deal that we could pray together for just one hour? And you fell asleep on me. When I needed you the most, you fell asleep on me. You see, praying for an hour is not a big deal to Jesus. He's inviting us into a lifestyle of prayer. Now, we've got something for you. It's a yellow little sheet. I'd like you to find that now. And there's a number of prayers on here. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to energize your prayer life by giving you scriptures to pray and showing you how to pray through the scriptures. The first of them is found in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. The Lord is Emmanuel. He is with you. The Lord is mighty to save. He delivered his people from bondage. He has the power to deliver you. And listen to this. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, that you are mighty to save and that you are singing a song over me right now. Even though I don't and can't please people all the time, Lord, you are delighted in me. You delighted in me before I was born and, and even on the day I was born. You have quieted me with your love in the past. Quiet me now as the world is loud and wants to tell me who to be. May the songs of your rejoicing over me Fill my ears instead of the lies and the world's untruths. <laughs> Some of you needed to hear that God delights in you, that God <laughs> sings over you. You know, I have four kids, and I love to sing over them. I have a song for each one of them. I even have a song for my dog. <laughs> because I delight in my children. I sometimes delight in my dog. And I remember when I was, um, my kids were little. And I would put them on my lap. And what I really loved to do is I loved to put coins in my hand. And I'd open my hand and they'd have to guess how much was in my hand. And they guessed correctly they could have all the coins. Now that really wasn't about as much giving them a gift as it was having my children close to me. You see, what Abba really wants is to, for you to draw close to you, for close to him, to know how much he delights in you, how he sings over you, how he rejoices over you. He is with you, 
and your God is mighty to save. How about peace? Praying for peace. Jesus spoke these words just before the cross. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Peace itself is a gift that God would give to you. Peace is something that Jesus left with us. I do not give you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts become troubled and do not be afraid. Pray with me, would you please? Father, I pray peace upon these people. For you are the one who gives us peace. Peace is a gift that you give. So by faith, Lord, we receive that gift. If we keep our minds upon you, you promise to give us peace. So calm our hearts and our fears with your peace. For the little boy or the little girl facing surgery, we pray for them peace. For the soldier far from home, having been deployed or preparing to go, we pray for peace. For the home that is torn asunder by strife, we pray for peace. We pray, Lord, your peace over that troubled soul. We pray for peace in our singleness, in our married lives. Now, I'd like you to do something, okay, as we pray. Would you take your hands and face toward the ground? Just open your hands toward the ground. Lord, the trouble that we are feeling right now, the affliction, the tribulation, the problem we're experiencing right now, we cast this problem onto you. Now turn your palms toward heaven. And Father, from your hand we receive now your peace. Pour out your peace upon your people. The sense of being right with you. The sense of being right within themselves. The sense of being right with others. We pray out your peace over your people, and we receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. And the prayer for provision. How many of you all need something for God to provide for you? In this prayer that Jesus was praying this, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught us not to worry about our life, not to worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink. He taught us to, to look at the birds and see how the Heavenly Father takes care of them, to look at the lilies of the field, to see how the Heavenly Father takes care of them. Your Heavenly Father knows already what you need. But seek first His kingdom. Seek first His righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. In short, when you take care of God's business, God's going to take care of your business. So pray with me. Lord, you can... You can provide for every need from your riches. If only we would seek your kingdom first, you promise to give us all that we need. Lord, I know there are people here struggling financially, needing jobs, having trouble meeting their weekly and daily and monthly obligations. But Lord, you promise to give us what we need if we only put you first. Help us to put you first so you can put everything right again. Praying for his provision. How about strength? Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. This verse, the context is that young men stumble and fall fall badly. Young men grow weary in their journey. But look at this promise. But those who hope in the Lord, those who wait in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will soar above the circumstances of their life. They'll get a brand new perspective that the Lord is above it all. 
and they can rise above it all. They will run and not grow weary. They will run the race that's set out for them. And they will walk and not grow faint. Pray with me. Lord, there are some here who are so weary in their journey, stumbling and falling. We bring to you our weariness and pray hope to the situation that we may be renewed in your strength. Help my people, Lord, to soar above like eagles, running the race that you have set before them, persevering to the very finish. And then the prayer for grace. Paul three times had prayed about a thorn in his flesh. Anybody here have an affliction? Something you're dealing with? He prayed that the Lord would remove this affliction from him. But this was what God said to the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. (laughs) My grace is sufficient for your salvation, and my grace is sufficient for your strength. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that God's power may rest upon me. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I am so weak. I have asked you so many times to remove this problem from me. But I'm asking now, Lord, for the power and the grace to persevere through. Pour out your power upon your people. Stretch forth your arm, Lord. Show yourself mighty to deliver. Pour out your power, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And then for God's comfort. Here's a great promise from 2 Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Anybody dealing with troubles? I'm asking you. Anybody dealing with troubles? The God who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Pray with me, would you please? Just as the troubles of this life flow into our lives, God, may your comfort flow. And when you comfort me, Lord, may I comfort others with the very same comfort that you have given to me, that you are a God of compassion, and you come beside me, and you come alongside of me, and you send people to comfort me. You give me your word to comfort me. So God, bring comfort to us in the midst of our troubles, that when we receive this comfort, we may comfort others in the midst of their life troubles. God, we pray. And then there is a prayer for God's work. This is taken from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. That being confident of this, that he who began a good work in me, in you, will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Pray with me, would you please? God, you have done a good work for us in salvation. Now you are doing a great work in us in sanctification. God, you are working in us that you might work through us. Father, thank you for doing a good work in each one of us. And we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author of our faith. We're laying aside everything that hinders us. We're laying aside the sin that so easily besets us, that we may run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us, Lord, in this journey, keep our eyes fixed upon you. We fix our eyes upon Jesus. We gaze 
at the Lord Jesus. We glance at our problems. Lord, we have gazed at our problems, and we have glanced at the Lord our God. God, we fix our eyes upon Jesus. We gaze upon him. We pray, Lord, you might do this good work inside of us. And how about this one, wisdom? Anybody here ever prayed for wisdom? Anybody ever prayed for wisdom? Yeah? Wisdom. How about this one? If any of you lacks wisdom, you have a decision you need to make? You have a tough call to do? Got a hard choice to make? If anybody lacks wisdom, he should ask God, she should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Aren't you glad that God isn't stingy? That God is generous with his wisdom? Aren't you glad that God isn't judgmental? He doesn't find fault with you when you ask for wisdom. And this wisdom will be given to him. Pray with me, would you please? Father, we are taking you at your word. We are coming into your throne room to ask you for wisdom. We have a decision to make, and we need to hear from you. Give us the faith to believe that you impart to us wisdom. Then allow us to be still to hear your voice. Then give us the courage to do what you ask us to do. Lord, (laughs) when we learn to pray, would you teach us to ask you for wisdom? When we have to make a phone call, God, would you give us wisdom as to what to say? When we have to make a tough conversation, God, would you give us wisdom on how to say it? When we need to be delicate, Lord, would you give us wisdom? Father, we cry out to you for your wisdom. And then for guidance. Look at these promises from Psalms and Proverbs. Psalm 48 says, And this is our God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And this one, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. When that's a brand new Christian, a person said to me, this is the only verse you really need to learn. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. To pray to the Lord and trust him. Pray with me. Lord, the path for me is uncertain. I don't know which way to go. You have told me that if I trust in you, not in my own understanding, if I acknowledge you as my guide, that you would guide me to the end and make my path straight. Open for me, Lord, the doors that you would have to be opened. And close to me other doors that you would have to be closed. Help me to follow your, your will, Lord. Make my path straight. How about this one about worry? Anybody worried this morning? Yeah? Do not be anxious about anything. You see, what happens in anxiety is we get this divided heart. We try to control that which we cannot control. And Paul is teaching us now to be not anxious. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, the worries of this life overtake us. And the worries of this life have choked us. Our health, our jobs, our future, our finances, our relationships, our marriage, our children, our tomorrow. But you have told us not to be anxious. Help us to recognize our worries and stop and pray right now about that which is upon our hearts. We lay our requests before you. 
God, you are bigger than our worries. Help us to realize that our worries are not truth, that they are based in fear, false evidence appearing real. You are truth, and you are bigger than anything upon this earth we could ever worry about. We thank you, God, that you care about what we care about. How about this one? Knowing that I am chosen. This is very personal to me. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and pointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Look at this promise. The Father will give whatever you ask in his name. Pray with me. Lord, for so long I have tried to earn your favor, but your scripture says that I have been chosen, and I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. The fruit is the outward evidence of your inward work in my life, showing me who I really am, that I am your child. Thank you that you will give, according to your will, whatever we ask in the name of Jesus. And how about for our country, praying for our country? Here's a great promise. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and will heal their lands. Father, we confess our own sins and we confess the sins of our nation the iniquity passed down to us, our tendency toward idolatry. Father, we ask that you might break the idolatry that is in our land and send revival to America. Amen. And how about this one? Praying over somebody for God's blessing. Now let's just kind of make this personal, if we will. If you have somebody beside you, I'd like you to turn to them. I'd like you to pray this blessing over them, okay? So go ahead and do it. Here we go. It's the ironic blessing number six. beautiful to see the church praying, see the being a house of prayer, of blessing one another, of believing the promises of God, that God would keep you and that God would bless you, God would be gracious to you, make his face to shine upon you. We're going to invite now our intercessors to come on up because we're signaling a call to prayer. We're saying that there's stuff going on in your lives that needs prayer. We're going to humble ourselves before God and really seek after his face. We're going to become a house of prayer. We're going to let you come now, as God would lead you, to come and pray with our intercessors. And John, also, our team's going to play. Um, There's going to be a little bit of music going on, but I really want you to be honest. I really want you to come. And I want you to be vulnerable and admit what you're dealing with in your life. And these intercessors are willing to pray with you. This is your moment. Maybe you're going on a trip. You're going on momentum. And you like someone praying over you. Maybe it's an issue in your family. Maybe it's an issue at your business. Maybe just going on in your personal life. You just need some prayer. Look at all these people. They're just ready to go. All right. This is a moment. Let's, let's take advantage of it. Let's step into this opportunity 
and really be a people of prayer. And I'm glad they're all here. So as the team plays and you want to pray, you just come on up and we'll pray for you.